So as I've been sharing with you in this series that I've personally and my family and my wife and I, you can ask Lisa, we have seen God uh, just do some amazing and supernatural things in our lives, in our uh, 32 plus years of marriage, is that God has done miraculous things, supernatural things, unbelievable things, unmistakably God things. And my challenge to you in this series has been, have you also personally experienced God in some miraculous, supernatural way? My hope is that even during this sermon series, God has been revealing himself like never before in, in those supernatural ways. And, and God doesn't just want to do it back then. Okay, God wants to. He's a God of today as well. And his spirit is still alive his spirit is still active in the hearts and minds of those who give him complete access, right? And, and that's the, the essence and the purpose of this series is that uh, God is still at work. Trust me, if he's not at work in your life, well, it's not because God is not at work. Chances are we, you, I have not permitted him access or complete access to do his complete work in us and also through us. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. You see men and women being willing to humble themselves to realize that it truly is not by, it's not by my might, nor is it by my power, but it is by the Spirit of God, right? And listen, so miracles, uh, is for some of you, may not necessarily God raising the dead, but he can raise a dead marriage. You follow me? It, it may not necessarily be that, you know, uh, that, that, that God is is healing you, we're going to see today, after a serpent bit your hand or whatever, right? A bit your arm and latched onto your arm and you didn't die from a ven the venom of a, a serpent. But at the end of the day, what God can do is when you are being verbally bitten and smitten and stoned to death, that he can resurrect you and allow you to rise above it, period. Because those are still the powerful works that God is doing in and through people that allows you to stand in front of the council and know that, as Paul did, he simply says that I could tell you up until this day, my conscience is clean before God. That is the active work of the Spirit of God in a person's life. That you've allowed them complete access to your life, that you can stand in front of any council, any person, and say... Even up until this moment that I stand before you, my conscience is clean before God. Because most Christians can't say that. <laughs> Just saying. So the challenge is, is that we must become people who can say that with great confidence and humility that to this point, before God and before man, I can say my conscience is clean. That is spirit-led living. That is men and women, young or old, who, who have chosen to allow the Spirit of God to lead them, guide them, influence them, impact them, also impact the lives of others to a point that you can confidently say, before God, my conscience is clean. God needs more of that within the body of Christ like never before. Wouldn't you agree? That's why Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Jesus said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. So what we started with was the local church, our, if you would, our Jerusalem. Then we started going outside in our series, 
to the Beyond the Walls Church, the Bow Church. And then now we're finishing up with the church that is what? The All Nations Church. And you see from the very onset, God is still nudging the children of Israel away from places where they're comfortable. Where they're comfortable. And that's what God would do to get us out of our places of comfort. He would nudge you. He would cause things to stir in your life to start to move you where he wants you to be, which is ultimately in all the world. Right. Or at least reaching and wanting to reach all the world. Right. Shocks in America. You have the world coming to us now. Which is really making it quite easy for us. Right. So there there are people who are dispersed, who are from all nations, tribes and tongues. Okay, we just had an awesome experience with the family from Romania of all places. Some of us had the opportunity to minister to them from Romania. In New Jersey, go figure, heading to Chicago. (laughs) So the world has come to us, church. But we must be willing to go in spite of wherever the world is and wherever God has taken us. So, so that being said, today we're going to finish our last part of our journey, uh, part seven, and that will be the All Nations Church. And remember, next week, as was mentioned, we will have our part eight, which will be a time of prayer and worship, saying, God, make us this church. Make us this church today. So don't miss it. Don't miss the time of prayer and worship next week as we highlight some uh, particular scriptures and also give you a couple of real life examples of how God is causing us as a church to go beyond our walls. So that being said, just a quick review, quick review of the first five that was given to you as it relates to how does the church, the local church reach all nations. The first we find was this, is that there's, it's the plan of God. It is the absolute positive plan of God that Christ came He did a work among us. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And then he commanded us to go. Right. So he didn't just come to say, hey, everybody, here's God incarnated in the flesh. No, he did it intentionally uh, to do a specific work to prepare us so that we can continue the work in which he uh, began uh, in us. Right. But then also we we knew and we found out that um, the all nations churches is reached when we walk in our calling. In other words, we have a specific calling of being set apart and God has placed boundaries around us or there are boundaries that ultimately says that we are different than you, not in an egotistical way, but ultimately saying others may, but I may not because God has set me apart. God has called me to do a specific work. But then number three, we realize that all of this is going to take sacrifices, that there's going to be personal conflict among us. Right. Remember John, Mark and Paul. And then Paul came full circle and said, well, oh, by the way, John, Mark, he's still useful to me. He's very useful to me, even though I thought he was a deserter. Well, matter of fact, he did desert me. But now he is now useful to me. So you can have personal conflict within the body of Christ. You can have personal persecution. Remember, we talked about being stoning, being stoned, personal stoning, personal conflicts that you will have yourself. Right. But then we realize uh, Pastor Jose uh, elaborated further about the scriptures, how how the scriptures are to lead us and instruct us and really will deliver you and deliver others. Right. Why? It's because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. What? And became flesh to dwell among us. There's power in the word of God. And that's why the enemy tries to distract all of us to keep us out of the word. Right. Because the word of God ultimately 
creates transformation in a person's heart. That's why the scripture says, renew your mind by what? The washing of the word of God, right? Because the word of God will make you new. It will cleanse you from the inside out. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, workwoman, right? Who need not be ashamed, but rightly divides the word of truth. We shouldn't be men and women who, who, when we sit in a Bible study, we're so ashamed because we don't know certain books of the Bible. We shouldn't be ashamed that, that okay, my wife knows more of the Bible than me, or my husband knows the word more than me, or my child knows the word. No, it, it shouldn't be that way. There should not be this ashamedness, right? Everyone has certain learning capacity. You follow me? Certain, base, certain people based upon their giftedness will be able to memorize scripture better, but it doesn't and it shouldn't cause anyone to be deterred from what? Becoming a student of the word of God at whatever level you are in your studies. But then we realize that uh, there was more sacrifices that is needed. So even though you study the word of God, there's a responsibility to understand that uh, sacrifices and persecution and and if you would, people trying to literally derail your life because you are a follower of Jesus Christ is just a part of it. It's just a part of it that you will be attacked, that Satan does what prowl and he roams around seeking those he will devour. So never be surprised when fiery trials come upon you because they're what to perfect your faith. Right. So that being said, this leads to our sixth and seventh final Final two points uh, answering the question, how does the church reach all nations? If you can open with me, please, to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 18 through 1 through 4 gives us our, our sixth point, and it is this, is that when we allow the Holy Spirit to use us within the marketplace, you see, the, the worldwide church or the all nations church ultimately realizes that wherever I am in the marketplace, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm a street sweeper or if I'm the person who's in the penthouse, right? If I'm the owner of the business or the employee, God wants to do something supernatural in me and through me in that context. And please understand this. This is important to understand. It's because God has allowed you to work where you work today. God has allowed you to have the skill sets that you have today to do what you do today. And therefore, you are there for a purpose. And your responsibility, my responsibility, is to be on mission with God. Your ministry doesn't begin when you leave your job to go into full-time ministry. Can I say something to you today? You are already in full-time ministry, church. Once you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are in full-time ministry. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says, After these things, he left Athens, this is Paul, and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded, listen to this, all the Jews to do what? Leave again. So they get comfortable in Rome, and they're commanded to do what? Leave again. And he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, yes, Paul was bivocational, some would say. 
He stayed with them and they were working for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So do you see the balance there? So Paul did his work. Aquila, Priscilla, they were out making tents, selling tents. And I would, I would presume that they were very successful at doing it, right? But then they did not abandon serving in what? The synagogue. You, you see, do you hear what I'm saying? So this is what happens in the church so much. We say, okay, well, I'm working, I'm working six days, seven days a week, you know, uh, in my business. I'm working six, seven days a week, you know, for my company. And they, they're demanding overtime and, and I have nothing left for the kingdom of God or the church. Now, keep in mind, this is the dilemma. The dilemma is this. We live life in silos. So we think, I'm at work making money away from the church. That's not ministry. So then I feel guilt-stricken many times because I'm not giving 100 hours like the pastor in, in the church. You follow me? Versus saying, no, every day of my life, no matter where I serve, no matter where I work, that is ministry unto the Father. And what it does is it, it removes the silos, and I believe it removes guilt. Right? Because so many times, many people say, well, I, I, can, I can only come, you know, for an hour to help. Well, give an hour. Well, you know, you know, I'm so busy at work, and, and I want to give my very best to God, so I, I won't serve at all in the local church. No, that's, that's deception. Once you remove the silos, once you begin to remove the thought of, okay, this is ministry, that's ministry, and you begin to realize that, no, this is ministry, this is ministry, this is ministry, Everything begins to blend perfectly together. Your family is ministry. Your employment is ministry. The church is ministry. Grocery shopping is ministry. Getting your oil change is ministry. You follow me? If you are a consumer, you're still in ministry mode. If you're offering the service, you're still in ministry mode. And when a person begins to allow the Spirit of God access, again, right, to every area of their life, it begins to be cohesive, and there begins to be this removal of guilt. Like, well, I'm not giving enough to God. Well, if you're giving every single day of your life to God, you're giving everything to God. But if you think you're an owner of part of that time, There'll always be that, that tension on the inside of a follower of Jesus Christ. Am I giving enough? Am I doing enough for God? Am I doing, you know, am I serving enough? You always have tension because you've chosen to allow God to simply be in a box. And you're trying to control time. And God also governs every second of your, uh, your life. And that's a misconception in the church to think that ministry is only when you come to the building. Ministry is 24 hours a day, seven days. Matter of fact, ministry is in your sleep, believe it or not. You know why? It's because your spirit, man, doesn't rest. That's why you have, that's why you have temptations in your dreams. That's why the enemy attacks you in your dreams. 
even if you don't allow him in your dreams. Do you understand what I'm saying? Father, even meet me while I'm asleep. He wants every part of your life. It's not bondage. Matter of fact, it's freedom. It's great freedom. Whatever you do. The word trade means this, for the record. It means a craft or a skill. So whatever craft, whatever skill set God has given you, he wants you to use it for his glory. There's no wasted craft, no wasted skill that a follower of Jesus Christ has accumulated on the way that doesn't help build his temple, just like he did in the Old Testament. He gathered all, listen, this is what God would do, just like the, the children of Israel. Children of Israel are in bondage. Some of you may think right now work is bondage, and it could be because it is modern-day slavery, believe it or not, because he, the Scripture talks about be obedient to your, your master, servants. You follow me? Indentioned servant. However you want to slice it and dice it, if someone is telling you you got to be there day, that day, that time, and you got to leave this day, this time, and if you don't leave and go and come and do what I tell you to do, what do you call it? It is what it is. So, but the bottom line is this, is that God would allow you to learn in Egypt crafts and skills that should be carried over and used to build the temple. So if you're a counselor, if you're a teacher, if you are in whatever kind of service, public service, military service, you're a doctor, lawyer, if you are a, a cleaner on the job, whatever it is, guess what? Your cleaning skills need to be used in the body of Christ because you know what? You bring excellence in this area in the church. If you're a person who's responsible for human resources, if you're, if you're a writer, if you're whatever you are, an editor, whatever skills that you have, administration, don't just put them on a shelf when you walk in the door. There are no silos in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 31 says this. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So by show of hands, how many of you, the last time you drank a glass of water, you did it for his glory? <laughs> I just drank water, and I sure wasn't thinking about his glory. <laughs> I was just thirsty. But do you hear what the text is saying? whether you eat or drink. In other words, those things you do just naturally, some of us don't even say grace over our food. We just say, hey, give me the food. Let me just eat. I'm hungry, right? I mean, at the end of the day, he's saying those essentials in life, those things that you don't even think of and you just do habitually, those things need to be done for his glory. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do. So if you are eating and drinking and doing those mundane things of life for his glory, what more should you do at work? What more should you do in your home? What more should you do in the church? Whatever you do. And then he, he also solidifies this in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, again, verse 17, it says, whatever you do in word 
are indeed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So he also captures what you say should be for his glory. What you do should be for his glory. And I can venture to say that also means what you type in. No pun intended. Should be for his glory. Because if social media was, was in play during this time, I'm probably sure he would have said, and Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram, and what's the other one? Twitch? No. Is that it? Stitch? No. <laughs> well, all, you know, everything you do, you do for his glory, right? Everything. Do you get the point? So our challenge is to understand is that reaching all nations means that whatever you do in the marketplace must be for his glory, which will always translate into reaching all nations, right? Because what God would do with you and I is that you will go to that gas station over and over and over again, and you think that God only wants you to go get gas to get to your final destination. Could it be that that foreign gas station attendant is someone you need to bring the gospel to? How does a church reach all nations? We must allow the Holy Spirit to use us in the marketplace, wherever we go, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Lastly, the church reaches all nations when we experience miracles. You see, God is still a miracle-working God. And he wants to do miracles, extraordinary things in your life. He just does. Because what that does is it almost like creates the platform for the gospel. You see, again, the extraordinary thing that he may want to start with with you today could be the person in the mirror. When you allow the Spirit of God to take full control of you, that would then tell the world that God is God. When you allow the Holy Spirit to take full, full control of areas in your life that used to have control of you, like maybe your tongue, that maybe you can't harness it or you struggle with harnessing it, but you give the Spirit of God access to control your tongue, guess what that's going to say to your children or your husband or your wife or your family members? That the God you go to worship every Sunday morning is real. When you become a man or a woman who, who understands that I, I can't allow sexual addictions to overtake me over and over again and, and, and pornography to rule me and reign me and here I am sitting down with the person I love over and over again talking about over and over again talking about over and over again talking about over and over again, right? The same pains that's in the family that's destroying marriages, that's destroying each other, right? Knowingly or unknowingly. When you are delivered, you know what that says to the people you love? That your God is real. Anger, right? When you're able to, you know, have self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So how can I say that I have all, I've given all of the Holy Spirit access to me when I'm always angry? Or I can't control my anger. 
Well, think about this. How can I say to the ones I want to know Jesus that, that he is real if, if, if I am so bitter, chip on my shoulder kind of person, you know? Hate everybody. Everybody's the enemy. I don't like anybody. And everyone, every conspiracy theory about a person is true. You know, oh, you know, they're up to something. Oh, you got to watch them. Oh, well, come on now. Where's the love of the Holy Spirit? Where's the peace of the Holy Spirit? Where's the joy of the Holy Spirit? You follow me? To me, those are miracles that God wants to do in our lives today. Let alone raise the dead. What he probably first needs to do is raise a dead heart. Awaken a dead heart that is now alive and that communicates to the world and those that are closest to you in your world that he is alive. And the one that you worship should be the one that they worship. And the one that you serve is the one that they serve. I'm a firm believer that if a person is so close to me and I want them so much to know the Jesus that I have and I've come to know, and they have not come either A, to respect him and respect me in serving him yet, or have not come to know him yet, I could be the problem. How do I know? The scripture says to you and I, remove the plank in your eye. First. Then you can clearly see the speck in someone else's eye. In other words, the tendency is I want to help you change. I want to help you change. I want to make you, I want to fix you. I want to fix you. I want to fix you. God first says fix you. And then you can see clear enough to help fix them. So there's ownership in me. You follow me? That, that I can't just push it off on them and think that, oh, well, you have the issue. It's your, it's your, you're the issue why you don't respect me as the man. No, nah, chances are I haven't loved you as Christ loved the church in all things. Chances are I've only loved you in the easy things. Miracles. Everyday miracles that God wants to do in our lives. And that has nothing to do with everything I wrote down. <laughs> so, uh, chapter 19, verses 11 through 15. <laughs> That there's miracles that God wants to do, like in Ephesus. It says there was, it says God was, God was, not, not the apostles. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, the vehicle. We're about the vehicle. Extraordinary means it's uncommon and special. When God starts doing uncommon and special things in your life, Miracles to be able, moral power and excellence of soul. That's what I've been describing to you. It's moral power, right? It's excellence of soul that the Spirit of God will give you when you give him full control. That he will give you moral power over those things that you morally struggle with. 
That's miraculous. When a person doesn't have to go to account, there's some people today who are followers of Jesus Christ. Can I say this for the record? I'm all for counselors. I'm all for therapists. I'm all for that. I'm all for it. But there's an end to that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be a drop dead day. In other words, a day that whatever is going on in your life, that you have died to it once and for all. It's because something extraordinary, something morally powerful, some excellence of soul began to happen in your life that has changed you and transformed you from the inside out. Verse 15 talks about, listen to this. Now, here's the danger in this, if you like to play in the whole spirit realm, okay? Here's the danger in all of this. The danger, it says, in verse number 15. Well, let me give you, let me read it all, because this is important. Verse 13, chapter 19. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, evil spirits speak, I recognize Jesus, I know about Paul, but who in the world are you? So, (laughs) is there anything to worry about when it comes to evil spirits? Absolutely not. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Period. 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 We have been given all power. Not in ourselves, but what? In him. So, So, we can say to spirits, the Lord rebuke you. I can't rebuke a spirit, but the Lord rebukes you. In the name of Jesus, you go. But here's the difference, though, in all of this. It says, I recognize Jesus. Okay, that's a check mark. We know that. I know about Paul, but who are you? What are spirits? Because trust me, we're wrestling against not flesh and blood. What are spirits, spirits saying about you? I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. Are they saying, but I know about you too? Are they saying, but who are you? It's not to be afraid of with spirits. But are they saying, who are you? Then you got a problem. See, a lot of stuff we're dealing with is our spiritual things manifested in the flesh. We're seeing symptoms of spiritual battles in homes. Symptoms, anger and bitterness and symptoms. But my humble opinion is with that spirit who is bringing all those symptoms of saying to so many followers of Jesus Christ is this, who are you? Who are you? 
Well, if you don't let the Holy Spirit live within you completely, you don't even have self-control. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to continue to send that spirit and send that spirit and send that spirit. And that spirit is simply saying to you and I, well, who are you? You're powerless over me. That's really what it's saying. You're absolutely powerless over me. Who are you? Are the evil spirits in heaven calling each one of us by name because they know us? Don't go to that household because he's there. The word know about means this, to know well. Chances are, if we're not walking in the spirit, we're exactly where evil spirits wants us, wants us to be. Oblivious. Totally oblivious. Am I saying to you right now, look around every corner and looking for a demon? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. He has disguised Satan himself as an angel of light. But what I am saying is, are you giving the Spirit of God complete access that even demons know your name? Because you're connected to the name above all names, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, because he has complete access to you. Miracles like in Ephesus there, miracles like the sleepy man. So, so chapter 20, verses 7 through 12 is probably one of the most fascinating scenarios. Real quickly. So you have this, this young man. <laughs> so when I was choosing this part of the, the verses, I was like, hmm, how many people have fell asleep on me? So, so look at Paul, Paul in uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathering together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. <laughs> you know, when it, gets, when it gets about 40 minutes, everybody's like, oh, come on, pastor, it's 40 minutes. <laughs> Until midnight, it says, and there were many lamps in the upper room where uh, we were gathering together. And there was a young man named uh, Itticus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Now, if you don't think the Bible has humor, I mean, you're just it's like, that's a... <laughs> So it says, but Paul went down and fell on him. I mean, figure that. He fell down, Paul falls on him. And he says, after uh, embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten it, he talked with them a long while until daybreak. And he's still talking, wow. And then left. He says, they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. So this is what came to mind in this context, is that how funny, how silly, how irrelevant this seems to be nestled here in this particular passage of Scripture, it just shows how God truly can cause all things to work together for good. 
Because at the end of the day, you can rest assured, everyone was panic-stricken that this young guy fell out of the window. Like, I can't believe it. This guy is dead. Here we are trying to have a Bible study and someone falls out of the window. Right? How many people were saying, well, Paul, man, if you would have cut your message earlier, you know, then it wouldn't have happened, right? <laughs> you know, I could just imagine all the conversations going on there, but at the end of the day, God inserts this in the book of Acts. How there are going to be times that it's just like, man, that's just like crazy happening. How can we imagine someone falling out of the window? But the first thing Paul did was run down, lay over him, pray over him, and God caused something that could have been catastrophic in families' lives. Potentially something that was catastrophic in his ministry that God turned it into good. And to me, that's, that's the wonderful thing of being where God wants you to be whenever he wants you to be, led by the Spirit of God. No matter what you may feel like the outcome is about, right? Because that looked like, dang, how could this be happening right now? I'm trying to teach these people the Bible. This guy falls out of the window. Right, and one of our, our human sinful natures would be, oh God, what should I have been here? Oh God, well, you know, and we're making excuses versus, God, here's a great opportunity for you to be glorified. You know how many times we pass by people stranded on the roadside? Right? How many times we see things happen, it's like, oh, well, I don't need to be involved in that. But God is really setting us up to get involved so that he could be made known. Because chances are, that person that you meet on the roadside, that chances of the person that you, you meet in a peculiar fashion, right, will be a person that there's a message from God for you to deliver. And chances are, it will be someone that you would most likely not reach out to. It'll be someone outside of your own nation. You follow me? Out of your own kind. Because that's just how God sets us up. Because we won't do it naturally. So God will just create a scenario to get you there. Be sensitive to the scenarios that he, he places before you because he wants to bring about his glory in it all. Amen? Last point on the miracles. If you can go to chapter 28. Malta. Paul, finally, being, after being shipwrecked, arrives <laughs> semi, well, he arrives alive and safe at this place called Malta. And in chapter 28, verse 1, you have this storyline. And let me read some of it. It says, when they had brought safe, had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that has set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Now, I don't know about you. It was like, dang, God, I just got shipwrecked. Here I am. I don't know what I'm doing. And now I get bit by a snake. 
It says, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. <laughs> and though he has uh, been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, this is, a, believe it or not, an important side note. So many times we can look at believers, something bad happening to them as a sign that they're out of the will of God. Well, they're sick because they're not following Jesus like me. Right? We get very judgmental past, oh, you know, I believe that, you know, this is happening to them because they're not walking with the Lord like I think they should walk with the Lord. And here's Paul, right? Paul, Paul, right? Here he is, stranded, shipwrecked, now bitten by a viper. Now listen to what it says. Verse 5. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was now a god. So he went from this nobody to now he's a, literally a god. Now think about this for a minute. You had, you had God allowing the shipwreck. He's now in a foreign place. He's now bitten by the snake and is all sovereignly planned by God. Yeah, right. <laughs> Amen, right. Sovereignly planned by God. So think about this. Have you ever been in situations that you're like, God, I don't want to be here? You ever been in a hospital, emergency room, about to get surgery, and you're sitting there like, God, why am I here? Did I do something wrong? Oh, God, why am I here? Why do I do, you know, oh, you know and, and you just, you're so consumed by the event. And you're missing the hand of God. Paul could have easily went to the island, was in Debbie Downer mode. Okay, God, now I'm bent. Oh, God, what are you doing to me? I can't believe it, God. Why me, God? Well, you, can I catch a break, God? Yeah, I've been there. You ever been there? I can't catch a break, God. Something else? I can't believe it. He could have easily went that mode. He says, verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands, belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted. Here I am, bit. I'm shipwrecked. I'm all about, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. You know it's all about me, right? Because you don't understand all I've been through. Right, you, God, you, you know, you know, oh, you know, my family. Oh, you don't know how much money it's costing me, God. You don't know, God. You don't, you don't understand, God. Right, but here, right before Paul, someone else is afflicted with a reoccurring fever and dysentery, dysentery, and Paul went to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. How many times do we miss an opportunity because we're so focused on us? We miss a miracle of God because I think that my problem is worse than everybody else's problem. 
that my pains are worse than everybody else's pains. And an opportunity for God to show himself big in your life is right before you. Can I just offer you a suggestion to something that I personally learned? And it's this. If I am in a situation or predicament that I don't want to be in, that I have no sovereign control over it, but God does, I've tried to learn quickly to rest in it and start listening to God. Because chances are I'm on assignment. Who wants to be in a hospital with their children that's sick? Nobody in their right mind. You, you, could, you could be Jesus, you, you all Jesus, 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 all you want. But nobody wants to take their child to children's hospital, right, and be there for 24, 48, whatever hours, and they're, they're, something's wrong with their child. No one in their right mind, period. No one in their right mind who are, who's honest before God wants to go have surgery to... I don't care if it's, it's minor or not. No one wants to be there. No one wants to be in an unemployment line. Nobody does. But you're there. You're there. And if you believe in a sovereign God, you have to also believe that God has a mission for you there. So begin to walk in the spirit, begin to have eyes like the Lord Jesus, begin to have his ear, begin to have his heart, begin to search and survey the room where you would not normally be at 12 o'clock midnight. Survey, hear God's voice, be open to what he is saying to you, because there could just be someone who is worse off than you. You say, well, wait a minute, how could they be? The injury is not as worse than ours. No, they may be on their way to hell. And it is our responsibility to be that, that vehicle that God uses to lead them to a place of healing. You see this in verse 6, they change their mind. This word change means this. They change oneself or their mind or they transform their ones, the, themselves. Think about it. Because Paul was rescued by God, the onlookers were impacted by what God did in Paul's life. The word honored here, you see in verse 10, they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were sitting, setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. You hear that? God had you there. You don't want to be there. You're shipwrecked. You get bitten by a serpent. God uses you in spite of you. And God, guess what God always do? He will always do. He will take care of you. He could easily got shipwrecked and began, the first thing on his mind was, okay, God, all right, well, how do I build the boat? How, how do I build enough? How do I salvage, how do I salvage everything, right? How do, I, how do I accumulate wealth, right, to get off of the island? Be about the Father's business. He will always take care of you. The word honor means this, to esteem, which means to regard with respect or admiration and high value. Now, historically, when someone was receiving marks of respect, it meant this. Honor in ancient Greece meant more than pride. 
It was a symbol of worthiness established through the respect of one's peers. If you were an, an honorable person, you were valuable in the eyes of society. Honor afforded you the respect of your peers, social status, and privileges. So many times we want social status, we want respect, we want privileges before we're willing to serve God. How many items have you shown up on and you just say, I want to be respected? I want status. I want privilege. I want all the benefits of life. Many times God may say to you, well, <laughs> you need to be bit by a snake. <laughs> right? You need to be accused of, right? Because Paul was accused of being someone he wasn't. You also may be tempted to be self-promoted. That you're a God. Or someone that you shouldn't claim to be. But at the end of the day, if you're about the Father's business, he will set you up to be used by him, and he will always, always, always take care of you. That's the beauty of walking in the Spirit. He will have you at the right place all the time to help others and also to be a help to yourself. Let us be a church that allows the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us in everything that we do. Not just the big things, but the little things. Because the little things prepare us, prepares us all for what? The big things. We got to let them in the minutiae, the details, the trivial things. So that ultimately, he will have the pathway in our hearts, right? To show up when the big things happen or when we really in our minds, need them the most. You follow them? Follow me? We need to learn to need them the most in the small things. And that's in everything that we go through, everything that we do, because we've allowed the Spirit of God to, to touch, to have his fingerprint on every, every area of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you remain faithful in all things. If today you are saying in your heart, okay, God, uh, you've spoken to me in this series, and, and now I just want to make a public declaration, if you would, that, God, I pray that you will help me be this person that allows you complete access all the time in all things. That maybe you are saying to yourself and to God, why not me? Why not now? Why can't you use me today like you did the others then? If you want him to use you, if you want to give him complete access in your life like never before, would you, as your heads are bowed, could you just stand to your feet? If, you're, if this is you, you're saying, I'm going to make a public declaration, and I'm going to stand on my feet right now, because I want to begin from this day forward to say, Spirit of the living God, you have complete access to my life. Even those hard things, I give you complete access.
Jesus. And if any of you want to come to the prayer walls, the reason why we haven't done altar calls is because social distancing and all that stuff. But if you want to put whatever's in your heart on the wall before the Lord, feel free to do that as well. Just again, these are just gestures of obedience to say, God, I'm giving you full access. And if there's anything in your life, your heart, you say, okay, man, this this is a speed bump. This is something that is causing, if you would, that proverbial bottleneck in my life that is hindering the Spirit of God's complete access. Can you, just where you are, confess that before the Lord? Just, God, I admit that this, whatever this is, fill in the blank, is a hindrance. But today, I give this, whatever it is, to you. Take it. Remove it. I surrender it to you. Can we all stand to our feet, please? And if you all can hit the lights, please. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all just lift our hands before the Lord? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now, O Lord, that you would make us this church. Help me do my individual part. But let me not be an individual, but let me be a working part of this church. Lord, in doing so, we can be a testimony to a dying world, testimony to our families of the living Christ. Why not us? Why not now? Let it be so, we pray, from this day forward. We believe it. We exclaim it. We believe it because we know it is not by our might, nor is it by our power. And we celebrate you, Jesus, for empowering us and gifting us with your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. Bless the name. Hallelujah. Uh, Sarah some space and uh, to just give you a couple of announcements then we're going to close in the song good morning everyone just a reminder next Sunday we are going to close out this sermon series in a time of worship and prayer Um, and we also are all going to be wearing our sermon series t-shirts for those who ordered last week we have them here today so be sure to see me in the back if you would like to order one we have order forms as well so we can wear our shirts next Sunday together amen Also, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, as you exit, you will see a table set up with some material, okay? So please be sure to stop by and check out some of the stuff we have there. Amen?